0: Good morning and welcome once again to our book review programme, Read All About It. I'm Yuri Vitacci and for the next couple of weeks I'm here with author Marshall Moore. As always, we've both brought a fairly new release to chat about and we'll wrap up by revisiting a classic, which this week is going to be a pair of classics actually. Marshall, what are they going to be? Frankenstein and Dracula because Halloween's coming right up. That's right. So we're gonna we're gonna scare you on this on this Sunday morning, Marshall. Why don't you start today?
1: All right. So since we're getting terrified, uh, my book is a head full of ghosts, and it's a new novel by Paul Tremblay, who's an American author uh, based in Boston. And there's actually a story behind this book because it's. From the title, as you could guess, it's a ghost story, and that just happens to be what I'm doing my PhD in. On ghost stories? Yeah, it is. So I've been reading ghost stories pretty intensively for the last two and a half years or something like that. So it might be something I can actually talk about. So
0: tell us about it. It's not not an author or or, or a book I'm familiar with A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay.
1: Right. it's. I had been hearing about it because I kept seeing mention of it online on social media, seeing reviews for it. And by all accounts, this is just the horror novel to read this year. And it's gotten some amazing reviews. Um, Stephen King raved about it. Publishers Weekly raved about it. NPR raved about it. Everybody I've come across so far is pretty much across the board raved about it. And then... I couldn't find it here in Hong Kong, so I actually picked it up on the trip back to San Francisco, uh, which nobody actually knows I took apart from the person whose wedding I was there to see. Um, and so I went to Borderlands Books, which is the famous horror mystery. Um, thriller, kind of fantasy bookstore in uh, the Mission, uh, and I, I must have bought half a dozen books, and you can imagine what my luggage was like coming back. Yeah, and this is a hardback too. I know fantastic. I bought hardbacks. Yeah, I bought hardbacks <laughs> yeah. and lugged them back in my in my suitcases, um, and it's fantastic. Honestly, the guy has done his homework. Um, the story is about a family who is possibly dealing with a case of possession where it's a husband and wife and then their two young daughters and the oldest one seems to be possessed and so the big question of course is is she or isn't she
0: okay so it sounds like classic sounds like a, a touch of the exorcist in there somewhere
1: which it 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 totally is because what the author has done he's clearly researched the classics of the horror genre and ghost story genre and where they overlap. And so he's very, very consciously riffing on The Exorcist, um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. There are references as far back as The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole mm-hmm. from the nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. Everything from that to House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski. Uh, There are references to Stephen King, he was riffing on The Shining pretty clearly. And do we have the Catholic priest coming with his cross? We do, of course we do. As a matter of fact, we do, and it goes quite disastrously wrong. Um, And the interesting thing by this point is, yes, there is an exorcism scene, and much of the plot is building up to that, but we also have several other things going on in the book. Um, the family are in economic hard times and as you know, as many middle class American families are, the father's out of work, they're struggling for money. And so by various means they get hooked up with a production company that wants to do a reality TV series. Oh,
0: great. That's the and modern modern angle.
1: Then yeah, yeah, the modern angle comes in and so then you have these people with possibly corrupt backing doing a reality TV show with cameras in this poor family's home, but they're desperate for the money. So of course they have to say yes to it. And so the series is called The Possession. And the whole thing is, is this girl possessed? And it's a reality TV series. And so we have a couple of other layers to it where the um, youngest daughter has grown up now and she's she's working with an author who wants to write a book about what happened. And so we jump around several points of view. There's also a blogger in the future who has a connection to this story. And uh, she's writing from the standpoint of a a character she's made up for herself called The Last Final Girl. And she comments on horror and has a particular focus on this story as well. And so it's the intersection of all of these different threads. And was this really a haunting? Was this really a possession? I'm not going to say. But I can also say that the um, author clearly has read as Henry James. <laughs> right,
0: wonderful. So there's a so so the timeline is broken up. There right. are flashback parts and, and, right. and parts set in there. Right.
1: So is it is it a difficult read? No, no, no. I, I'll admit it took me a little while to get going because. Um, I I haven't actually read Tremblay's work before. He's he's a good writer. And I think mostly it was just to do with the fact that I'm too busy at the moment to slow down and concentrate. So whenever I sit on the sofa, I'm always thinking, oh, my God, I should be doing this. I should be working on my thesis. I should be changing the cat box. I should be feeding my cat. I should be doing like 19,433 things at the same time and like focusing just enough to read. (laughs) Right. I should put in here that Marshall is quite famous in
0: in the social community for... uh for a very scary-looking cat. I mean, <laughs> that cat could inspire some horror, wouldn't
1: it? Uh, I, well, it may be the amber eyes, but, you know, he's, he's, he's this big, friendly dust mop of a cat. But so. with a with grumpy expression of a gnaw. Um, I guess so, depending <laughs> on what mood I happen to catch him in when I take pictures and put him on Facebook. <laughs> and we're discussing A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul
0: Tremblay on a special edition where we're talking about um, scary stories. Um, now what are, what are the key elements that make a, a classic horror movie or horror or a book which you 've got in this book?
1: Yeah you know, I might be able to say one or two things about that um, i there 's actually a few things that need to be there. Horror is a funny genre because you know being an author, as you know it 's all about the genre sometimes, and horror is funny because it 's based on the affect or the emotional state that it's trying to create in the reader rather than on the content per se. So like with a mystery, you know, it's about the content with a romance. It's kind of about the content, but horror is, it comes from the idea that it's meant to frighten you. Um, And so horror needs to be in order to work constructed in a way that it's iterative, wherein um, certain things happen in the plot. And as the plot progresses, You need the information that just happened in order to interpret the story as you go. And so it comes from the Gothic storytelling tradition where you've got dark houses, dark shadows. You've got um, some kind of monster sometimes, or you've got like the dark side of human potential being exposed Mm -hmm. That seems to be a pretty workable definition. <laughs>
0: right. And, of course, it goes way back into into archetypal history of yeah. folklore and, uh, and, and sort of religious stories and ancient myths uh, of, uh, of the dark side of humanity, really, isn't right. it?
1: Right. Yeah. Ghost stories have been around pretty much from time immemorial across just about any culture you can think of. But horror is a relatively new thing. It's really only mm-hmm. been around in its current form since like the 19th century
0: yeah or even uh yeah i, I think um house of Otranto is uh was perhaps late 1790s or or, or then about and then and that sort of started to flood them mm-hmm. they, in the, uh, through the through the uh through the 18th 19th 20th centuries right oh that's interesting so this is a this is a good read you're enjoying this i can see
1: very very much yeah this is a terrific book
0: well, we're talking about Gothic horror, but uh, what about modern-day horror? I mean, Alien, the movie, was a was a horror story very much. Uh, uh, is, is this a today horror story?
1: Well, this is it, to me. This is more like the tomorrow horror story because it takes everything from all of these kind of classic horror references we've been talking about, and then it merges them with the internet and reality TV. And you know you've got the film crew in recording, and you've got references to American horror story, among other things, so this is very much of the time um technology yeah, it is very much in horror now um one of the first ones that comes to mind is Cell" by Stephen King, where it's a if I'm remembering the plot correctly, it's a sort of virus that spreads through cellular phone networks and turns everyone's into into these like hive like zombies. So, that one's come
0: true, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that's pretty much today's world.
0: <laughs> uh, who's this book for? Is it is it too scary for uh, for for tender people like me? I don't like PG movies.
1: Yeah, it might be a little bit too much. I, I've lost all sense of perspective on what other people find frightening now because since I've been doing a PhD in this stuff, I'm pretty much unscarable. And I <laughs> and I'm trying to write a horror novel as well. I mean, I'm almost finished with it. So. I, you know, I can look at my bank balance and be very scared, but you're not going to scare me with this stuff. So just to wrap this up, this is A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, just published this year. Absolutely fantastic horror novel.
0: And the book I've bought today is uh, Dark Places by Gillian Flynn. Jillian uh, Flynn is very famous at the moment because uh, of, uh, of a book called um, Gone Girl, which was like the literary sensation of, uh, of a couple of years ago. Um, but Dark Places is perhaps a more interesting book in the horror genre. And it's just come out as a, as a movie, uh, just come out in the States. I don't think it's opened uh, here yet. Um, and it's an it's a unusual horror story. So I thought I'd bring something with a bit of, of contrast. The story is pretty, uh, grim in that we have a damaged character, Libby Day. Uh, she was seven when her mother and two sisters were murdered in a satanic sacrifice in Kansas. And, uh, as the family lay dying, uh, Libby fled the tiny farmhouse into the snow. So we've got this wonderful, powerful drama, uh, from frostbite, she lost uh, some fingers and toes, but she survived. And, uh, famously testified that her brother was the one who had killed the family so we've got this very grim story to start with but the story is actually not set around that murder the story set many years later and uh, again we've got the modern uh angle coming in because um you know do you you remember that podcast called Serial uh where um it was a sensation in the in the in the podcast world because people re-examined the public re-examined an ancient uh, crime or an old crime, and that's what happens in this book. The public re-examine uh, a, a murder, uh, the, this satanic killing of the family, and uh, so um, Libby, who's a depressed girl who's an adult now, uh, lost her whole family. Uh, she doesn't want to have anything to do with the public until she realises she can make some money out of this. She doesn't have a job. She's miserable. She's depressed. So she can she can do a paid speech to um, to amateur detective groups who are trying to dig up this uh, mystery. And, 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 of course, they say, oh, perhaps Ben, the brother, didn't do it at all. And so we've got a beautiful setup where we've got the um, the, the, the family uh, tragedy and then we've got the modern angle of um, of modern people trying to dig up uh, what really happened. And we've got this character in the middle, Libby, who um, testified against her brother and is trying to just make some money. So she's not a good person. But then she starts listening to some of the stuff the public has brought up. Perhaps, this is crazy, perhaps the brother didn't kill the family after all. So she has to deep delve into her psychological... Uh, uh, inner inner voices, and she has to do some detective work as well. I think, like like the book you bought, uh, there's a lot of psychology uh, in in dark novels. That you think
1: right, and especially for people who survive what happened and go on to try to have some kind of life afterward and struggle financially or struggle to find something meaningful, some meaningful way for themselves to engage with the world. That's kind of how it sounds. That's right. It's all about it's all about it's all about people
0: coming to terms with uh, with with the darkness that's in our society and in ourselves uh, mm-hmm. as well. I might just read a paragraph or two to give some uh, atmosphere of the, of the book. This is this is pretty much how it starts. It was miserable, wet, bone march, and I was lying in bed thinking about killing myself. A hobby of mine. "'Indulgent afternoon daydreaming, a shotgun, my mouth, a bang, "'and my head jerking once, twice, blood on the wall, splatter, splatter. "'Did she want to be buried or cremated?' people would ask. "'Who would come to the funeral?' but no-one would know. "'The people, whoever they were, would just look at each other's shoes or shoulders "'until the silence settled in, and then someone would put on a pot of coffee, "'briskly and with a fair amount of clatter.' Coffee goes great with sudden death.
1: That puts me in the mind of *In Cold Blood* by Truman Capote. Do you see a connection between the two stories? Yes, uh, uh, certainly. They're both,
0: they both—they both feel like real today stories, don't they? Although Truman—Truman Capote's story was—it was a real one. Truman Capote is a uh, *In Cold Blood* was a story from what about around in nineteen sixty or thereabouts. That sounds about right. Yeah, around around then, um, and uh, was famously investigated by. Capote and his assistant who was harper lee of uh, of Mockingbird uh, fame, uh, yeah, but this book is very modern in the sense that we have an anti hero uh, the survivor, the young girl who survived and is now an adult woman is is not a nice person, and she 's finding out uh, about herself that she that perhaps the story of her brother slaughtering her family is is a bit more complex than it seems. Now, I, I should say that Gillian Flynn is famous for complex um, plots. I mean, Gone Girl was a was a sensation because it was so complicated.
1: I was looking for a chance to ask you about that because <laughs> yeah. I've read Gone Girl, I've seen the film, but I haven't read this one yet. Right, right. Um, I,
0: I mean, I think I think Flynn herself wrote the movie Gone Girl, which was why it's so successful. This new one. Um, Dark Places has been written by someone else, so uh, the the initial reviews are pretty negative, uh, I should say. So uh, so skip the movies and, and go for the books. Uh, the other thing about Gillian Flynn I like is that he, she, she's a bit like us. She's an ordinary person. She works as a journalist. Uh, she wasn't very successful as a journalist. And then she writes a, a novel, and, and, uh, and, and uh, it's a hit, then another one, then another one, and now she's uh, rich and famous. So it's basically... Your story and my story i think um,
1: right we just, just have to write more dark stuff about people who die <laughs> that's right well the obvious question that this raises then is um is everyday life more frightening or is the supernatural the really scary bit which one is more terrifying yeah that's a that's a really good point it's like you said earlier i mean the scariest thing in the
0: world is getting your your bank statement isn't it Or just wondering how you're have- going to afford a flat in hong kong i mean that's that's the ultimate scary thing uh, so what is the heart of darkness i think the the um, what horror writers are looking for is the the fact the, that there's there's darkness in all of us darkness in society darkness around and how do we conquer it how do we control it how do we understand it how do we manage it uh, and that and that's why these books tend to have endings which have some sort of resolution
1: Well, horror theory holds that horror actually works. The reason we like it so much and the reason we're drawn to it is because ultimately it reinforces the norm, that it's actually in its way a really conservative genre. And so it first of all reminds us that our own lives aren't so bad in comparison. So, you know, when you've got the story about somebody who's holding up a crucifix to ward off vampires versus the real life, you know, the horrifying news like every other day, some school child in the United States is shot in the face. Um, that's horrifying. But at the same time, it makes our own everyday lives somehow more bearable in a strange way. Mm. So it, it it reinforces the the normality that we all kind of aspire to even if we don't quite achieve it there's
0: horror everywhere there's horror on the news there's horror on the radio there's uh, there's there's I mean uh, the worry is that of course you become desensitized to all this and uh, and and that
1: would be bad for society wouldn't it but isn't that kind of our new normal? I mean, the news broadcasts that come out of the United States or the Middle East, there's so much happening and so much going wrong. And then even the last couple of days, we look outside and the sky is this sort of milky white with air pollution here. So desensitization is kind of what I think we're dealing with. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, there's an interesting piece in the uh, in, the, in, the, in the,
0: uh, New Scientist about uh, about belief. And, um, you know, belief comes from uh, existential worry I said, that's not going to go away. We get worried more
1: about more things every every year that goes past. So talking about Gillian Flynn's Dark Places, how do you think she handles these things that we've been talking about? Like to create this atmosphere of dread, but then at the same time to hammer us with it. What does she do? How does she make it all work?
0: Well, I think that the, the trick is to take it from, from modern life. You know, we, we've all seen uh, how media... Uh, investigates murders and glories over them and uh, ha- how it trumpets things like satanic rituals when often that's not actually what happened. So like Paul Tremblay, A Head Full of Ghosts, the other book we were discussing this morning, um, we find modern life reality news headlines blended into horror classic elements
1: to create uh, really gripping entertainment. Sounds like something well worth losing sleep over, although I might have to check out the movie because I think it's really interesting. One other thing that she does is these really strong, complex female characters that do things we tend to sort of stereotypically not imagine women doing and going to some very, very dark places indeed. And it's interesting that women are so often the dark
0: characters in, in novels, as in Gillian Flynn's uh, novel. So perhaps it is something to do with the complexity and unpredictability of women as compared to us simple men folk. Okay, we've been talking about uh, horror books uh, today. So I've been talking about Dark
1: Places uh, by Gillian Flynn. And my book was A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Okay, so let's talk about our classics, plural, since we're doing two of them.
0: That's right, we're talking about uh, Frankenstein and Dracula, uh, two two classics which are perhaps the ultimate uh, horror books.
1: Well, since you were just talking about the complexity and unpredictability of women and Mary Shelley was the author of Frankenstein, maybe we should start with that one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the great
0: thing about Frankenstein, well, and Dracula, is that they they're, they're both scary action stories but at the same time they have this deep psychological level and in fact i think no great story becomes great without that deep psychological level underneath
1: right i think the interesting thing behind frankenstein was the circumstances under which it was written do you do you recall that story yes
0: of course of course they were they were in a castle in uh, 1817 or 1816 anyway 1817 1816, the summer, yeah, the summer of 1816, which was famously the year without a, uh, the year without a summer, because uh, of a volcano explosion. There was no, there was no sunshine that year, and uh, uh, they were all locked away. And and in fact, Frankenstein and Dracula came out of that thing, didn't
1: they? Indirectly, it was um, Mary Shelley and Percy Bysshe Shelley, Lord Byron, and John Polidori. Yeah. And Polidori wrote a story called The Vampire, which was one of the influences on Bram Stoker when he wrote Dracula. Uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein and Lord Byron needs no introduction.
0: <laughs> right, indeed. Yeah, so, So out of this one, can you imagine these characters at a dinner party? And uh, at this, this one event, giving birth to the, those two trails of uh, of classic horror, Frankenstein and Dracula, it must have been a pretty scary dinner party.
1: Well, yeah, I think they, 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 they framed it as a contest to see who could write the best horror story. And I would imagine they're, like, stuck in this castle on Lake Geneva with hmm. Seattle-like weather that wouldn't end. So I, I think that would probably put them pretty much in the mind of, like, wanting to kill anything that moved <laughs> right indeed so uh, so 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 tell us why why do you like dracula um it's given rise to so many of the great works of horror i mean you can look at dracula and then look at what's come after it um the obvious one that comes to mind for me is uh salem's lot by stephen king Um, The Anne Rice books as well, all of her vampire stories. Interview with a vampire. Yeah, the interview and its 19 or 20,000 sequels. um, She pretty much reinvented the genre. But so much of that really comes back to Dracula more than uh, Polidori's book or the other one that inspired it, um, Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu, which Mm -hmm. I probably didn't pronounce correctly. (laughs) Indeed. The... um, yeah,
0: because so, so so Dracula is the is the urbane gentleman monster. Um, so there's some psychological thing there about the fact that the devil is always charming, isn't he? The devil's not the scary monster, but the devil is the charming monster.
1: Right. And I think that's the, the you get an interesting polarity there because the Frankenstein monster was the one that was the just the total opposite of that. Frightening but lumbering, awkward, didn't have a name, may or may not have had a soul could barely take care of himself. And then you have Count Dracula from uh, the Carpathian Mountains with money and power and scariness on tap. <laughs> right, indeed. Yes, Frankenstein, I, I think Frankenstein is quite misunderstood because
0: uh, certainly in modern movies and in sort of iconography, he's this big, tall, scary, green thing, a bit more like the Hulk. But uh, as you say, in the original book, he was very vulnerable and... Uh, and miserable and uh, quite sort of delicate. He was upset all the time because he felt that he wasn't loved by his creator.
1: Is it that Mary Shelley wanted to make a comment on the type of cruelty that people are capable of and what its results could be? Or would you say that Frankenstein succeeds more because it's a comment on the dangers of untrammeled ego? Uh, yes, well,
0: I think actually it could be it could be it could be both. I mean, there, there was a there was a, I saw Benedict Cumberbatch of all people playing Frankenstein uh, last year. There was a special um, sort of televised live play thing at, at, in Hong Kong, and um, there you see you see very much that uh, Frankenstein was the the, the vulnerable uh, creature, and it's a comment on society uh, in in that one. I mean, Dracula also is very much a comment on on the society of of, uh, of the time, wasn't it?
1: Okay, well, I have a complicated relationship with Dracula because I've never quite been able to make up my mind what Stoker was trying to do with it. I mean, on the one hand, is it some kind of a statement about colonial England back in the day and just the assumption that their way of life was so superior to everyone and everywhere else that they found themselves and it was this sort of extended volume in which stoker was kind of looking down his nose at the people of the balkans
0: it's interesting how how deep these uh, these horror stories are there's so much uh, meaning in them and uh, and well worth reading even today and and of course they're free now aren't they because they're so they're out of print so you can you can download them onto your phone right now and read them for nothing
1: and I highly recommend doing that, especially if you have a long commute. go to Project Gutenberg. I think they should be free as ebooks uh, and probably
0: audiobooks too, so Dracula by Bram Stoker and Frankenstein by by Mary Shelley
1: and Before that, our new releases we were just discussing were a head full of ghosts by Paul Tremblay and Julian Flynn's Dark places and you've been listening to read all about it uh, from me, Yuri Vitachi and me, Marshall Moore. Bye for now.